Hey everybody, welcome to episode 82 of Making It. I'm Bob Claggett, here with Jimmy Duresta. Oh, hey, what's up? How are you, brother? How's I'm good, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Uh, just, uh, I'm dumb. I'll talk about it when we talk about what we're doing, but I oh, have a crazy deadline and I'm getting close. I'm almost done. Nice. Project and a video. Also here with David Picciuto. How are you doing? <laughs> Nailed yeah. it. We're bringing that back. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you know how many people say that? You yeah. know, like like uh, David Welder always says, how are you doing? And every yeah, once in a while, back. Taylor will say that to me. So, <laughs> how are you doing? <laughs> so people, awesome. people remember that. I'm, uh, it's back. It's back for good now. I, I have my opening line. I feel better. I feel like we should start over. This is welcome to episode one of making it. <laughs> no, no, no. All right, no. We can do season two. How about that? All right, here we this go. This is the first episode of season two since we had a season one. Apparently, well, okay. Well, Jimmy, you sounded like you were really busy. What's up? Uh, so I've been working hard on trying to finish a couple of videos. I got my make video jammed in the middle of this other big project, which has been taking a little bit longer than I expected. I'm doing a built-in, a corner nook built-in for an apartment. It's a straight-up client job, and I'm also making it my core video, my core 77 video for this month. So nice. I'm getting down to the wire, like the due date for the client and oh. the due date for the video are, are exactly at the same moment. So tomorrow, once I'm done mm. my, with my install, i got to come home and finish my video. Who's, whose design? Is it your design or the client's design? Uh, the client sent me some reference, and together we hammered out a drawing, and she basically just said, I like that. So I gave her a few sketches, and we, when I say we, I mean me and her kind of hammered out through discussion. And she, it's really simple. It's really simple. And in the process, I sent her a very simple sketch, and in the process of building it, I came up with some more modifications, which I sent her pictures of today, and she's totally cool with it. It's uh, awesome. a corner nook, which ends up eating up a lot of airspace. And so she said, as long as I can get in there and utilize some of that airspace with doors or whatever. And so uh, I came up with a kind of a nice, simple concept. The idea of like the video is going to kind of cover the idea of like looking at this complicated structure and trying to dissect it in your mind so that you could understand how to build it. And so that's what the video is going to kind of cover, because that's exactly what I went through. I looked at all this and I was a little overwhelmed. And it's like, wow, how, how is this going to come together and, you know, where are the break point's going to be? Because I couldn't carry it all in one shot. So that's, uh, that's, that's what I've been digesting. But it's funny because I'm going down the road and I'm all overwhelmed and complicated. And then all of a sudden I get to the point where I'm like, ah, okay, now I see it. And then life becomes just a race to the finish line. <laughs> <laughs> that's nice. What when can we expect that core video? Uh, that, that's, well, typically it should be on a Wednesday, the first Wednesday, but it's going to be... Thursday, because the install is Wednesday. That's tomorrow. Cool. But I just, I mean, just moments ago, as we started the Skype podcast, I was still coming down off my high of completing this project. <laughs> but I just finished this week's video. It is, uh, I, we took a, um, a thrift store guitar amp, paid 30 bucks for this old Gorilla guitar amp, and I tore it apart. And I rebuilt a case, and it's made to hang on a wall. I looked online. I could not find any wall-hanging guitar amps. And so maybe I'm the first. Uh, I hope I am. But uh, it came out really cool. We used some rustic hickory for the outside and grill cloth and, and leather. And it's got my logo on there and replaced the knobs and painted some of the metal parts. And it sounds awful, and I love it. I love awful-sounding guitar amps. It came out really cool. I'm really <laughs> excited about this one. So like a cigarette pack? 
kind of like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, you know, in the, even at the end of the video, we say, you know, you may or may not know this, but a lot of Led Zeppelin tracks were recorded with boutique guitar amps, and like you can get a big sound out of a small crappy amp. So very fun. Yeah. We when I was in high school, we recorded an album the band I was with, and we were looking for this like super reverb, like a really big reverb. And I didn't have enough money to go out and buy like a big reverb unit or anything like that. And a friend of mine, who is uh, a drummer, actually, was like, hey, I have this old guitar amp that my grandmother gave me or something. And um, it has reverb on it. So we thought, yeah, we'll try it out. And it was this awful, cheap, (laughs) disgusting (laughs) little amp. But the reverb was unbelievable. And now I'm actually remembering that it was called a Stella, which is my daughter's name. Uh Oh, odd but um yeah it was it was just this junky little amp and the only thing it was good for was that reverb but it worked great for our album so yeah the the thing about recording guitar is there is no correct or right sound for guitars like guitars and guitar amps like there's a wide range like you know when you hear a crappy drum set but you don't know when you hear a crappy guitar or a crappy amp because it, you you don't have a good reference of like what it should sound like unless all you listen to is bon jovi then you know that particular sound or whatever so yeah you can, yeah. You can get some amazing tones out of some crappy amps yeah i mean a guitar sound that you hear is the culmination of the guitar its pickups how it's played then the effects that are on it then the amp then the speaker that it's going through and, and the mic. whatever you're listening <laughs> to it through yeah and the mic that's capturing it i mean there's a bunch of steps in there that all the all player comes last <laughs> the yeah. player comes guitar last player yeah. is last yeah. Well, that's cool. I'm looking forward to seeing that video. Um, so for me, I, this week, or last week, um, made a new on-air sign. So do you guys remember my on-air sign that I did, like, way back, like, one of my first videos? Yeah. Um, so this one's a new one, and it's based on a Raspberry Pi. And so it's a, a 32 by 32 LED matrix as the screen, and I can basically shove whatever image up there that I want. And so then I built a little control box in my shop with buttons that have icons on them. And so, like right now, when we went to record, I went and hit the on-air button. And so now it says on-air outside my shop, outside my office. Hmm. And uh, if I'm welding, I can hit a danger button, and it shows danger, do not enter. And, you know, so you can set up different images. And then you can, like, scroll text if you wanted it to. All sorts (laughs) of stuff. So, pretty cool to have out there. I just invented a, well, you just invented and I just reapplied that. I'm going to get make a baseball hat and on top of the baseball hat it's going to say I am on air and then I'm going to have another word that's going to say danger. So they're going to flicker when I'm having these thoughts so people don't bother me. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I did that project this week and it was really cool because it, it was my first, it was my first um, Raspberry Pi project where I've actually had to code it, you know, like the arcade that I did, there was no coding involved. It was just a matter of wiring it up correctly, which was pretty self-explanatory. This was like, I've got to actually figure out how to do something from scratch. And so it was programming in a language that I've never programmed in before and just kind of learning how to use that machine. And turned out it was way easier than I expected it to be and way more powerful than I thought it could be. So nice. it just kind of opened my mind up to like, oh, wait, you know, this is a good uh, infrastructure to build a bunch of other cool stuff on. Oh, like nice. this, exactly what I have, like without changing any hardware, it already has Bluetooth and Wi-Fi on it. So writing some more code would let me like 
tweet at the sign and it would just show up on the sign or, you know, there's like endless possibilities of like, Oh wow, I can do a Mm -hmm. lot more to this project and make it more useful. So that was pretty cool. If you're willing to talk about it, how are you covering the programming part in the video? Are you just kind of glazing over it or are you going in depth? So I actually, in the main channel video, I just kind of talked about the fact that it's Python. It's first time I've ever done it, whatever, whatever. And if you want to see more, I did a walkthrough of the code on my second channel. Because I know that's something that very few people are actually going to be interested in. But if they want to, it's there. I walk through line by line. They can see what how it works and stuff. So Nice. Excellent use of channel I, number two. Yeah, trying to trying to make the most of it. And then I've got all my code that I use for projects like on a GitHub so people can download the code, modify it, do whatever they want. So, yeah. Um, so for today, before we go, I want to change it up a little bit. Before we go to talking, I wanted to thank our Patreon supporters. We always do yeah. it at the end. I want to show them some love. Um, everybody that supports us on Patreon is awesome. We appreciate every single bit of it. Um, our top supporters there are Make, Build, Modify, John Cornwell, Luis Gonzalez, and yeah, and Luis Gonzalez. They're our top ones. Um, if you guys want to support the show, that's how we are able to continue to do it is just through Patreon support. Uh, so you can go to patreon.com slash making it. That'd be awesome. We appreciate it. Thank you guys. Um, Thank and you then, oh, I had, an, I had an idea. I had an idea. I haven't told you guys this yet. Uh-oh. We don't have to do this. But um, <clears throat> I thought it might be interesting because, you know, while we are making projects all the time, we all come across new little things that we just have to figure out to make something work or, like, we learn a t- new technique or something. I thought it might be kind of interesting on occasion to do, like, a today I learned thing. Just some little tip that you learned in what you were working on over the last week that you wanted to share. Because, you know, this is a perfect opportunity for us to share those little bits of information with other people. It's a great so idea. I can start out with one. Super small. And if you don't have one this week, that's okay. You get a pass. I got one. I got one. <laughs> okay. I got one. So the thing I learned today is that rubbing alcohol will take off spray paint right off your fingers. Like, no problem. Wow. <laughs> you got red, red painted fingers. Go get some rubbing yeah. alcohol. It comes right off. That's what I learned today. Oh, that's cool. Nice. I, le- I learned that nickel-plated finger pulls from the hardware store cost $25 each. And it's literally <laughs> wow. like one by one inch with a little – and I said to the – I only needed six for the project that you'll see. And I said, oh, go give me 10 or 15. And he goes, they're 22 to $23 each. I was like, oh, just give me six. That's all I need. <laughs> and uh, he wow. goes, this is the only ones we have, and they're by some fancy company. So, But I also experimented a little bit with installing them. They're the finger poles that mount just below surface. And so I realized I do a lot of my work by using a Forstner bit because it's got like a, it's got like a half dome that your finger dips into when you pull the ring up. It's one of those things. Mm-hmm. And so by using a Forstner bit, I got out the meat of – of the, the amount of material needed to be removed. And then with a square and a razor and a chisel, I was able to make the rest of it. And you'll see in the video. It's the first time I've done that in probably 20 years, having to like set that to the surface like that. Worked out good. I like this. I like the segment. So this is going to make me sound probably pretty dumb, but I really, I just had no idea. I, I, I was totally clueless. Today, I learned there's a difference between concrete and cement. I also learned hmm. today that when you handle it, uh, when you handle concrete, that you're supposed to wear gloves. Because I put out a tip video this morning, and lots of comments. I, I called it cement 
uh, a couple times in the video and people are like that is concrete there's a difference and then I also pour like the, the dry concrete I dumped it in the water with my hands and somebody said you're supposed to wear gloves because it's irritant and for some people it may cause burns so today I learned wear gloves and there's a difference between concrete and cement so I totally know what the difference is. <clears throat> I'm asking for a friend. You might want to explain to everybody what the difference between concrete and uh, I don't know. What's the difference between concrete and cement? I actually, I, I don't know, but cement <laughs> contains concrete. Okay. Oh, uh, okay. But but then I think there are some other uh, additives in there, some lime or something. I, I You guys should go look that up and then tweet it at me. <laughs> cool. I never knew. I never knew what the yep. difference was. And Taylor just asked me last week. She said, what is the difference between these two? And I said, honestly, I don't know. I never knew the difference. I put the video up and I got all these comments. I'm like, oh, I f I, it just made me feel really like like a total noob, which I am. And that's the point of my channel is I'm learning and you're, you're watching me learn. But it made me feel kind of dumb. Hmm. That happens, though. I mean, you know, but you can't really go back and take the video down and be like, oh, now I'm going to do it the right way. You know, right, right. And those comments are helping other people learn, too. So Yes. There's a lot of value there. Cool. Well, I asked Twitter earlier um, for some questions or if they had anything they wanted to talk about. And there's a bunch of, of interesting little uh, things that people have brought up. I thought we could just run through those. But first, I want to ask Jimmy, have you been using your, your calendar this week? No. I open it up <laughs> and it's like shows me. It's like when I click on the day. I swear to God, it's, it's the most frustrating thing. I click on the day. The calendar, fantastic how I click on the day and the day is only at the top. So it has like the bar across and then underneath it has every day. So it shows you yeah. the seven across the top and then the seven underneath. So when my mind, when I click on the day and I see a whole row underneath, it's the times of day. It's the morning, the noon, the, the evening and the early mm. evening. It's not what happens. You click on it and it just says new event. And I thought it means new event at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, which is something I remember from old graphics from previous cal calendar things. But so when I click on, say, today's the third or it was today the second, I click on the second yep. and it brings up underneath it. It says new event on the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, the sixth, the seventh. So that's completely annoying to me. Still no squares. And then when I click on the date, it still takes me to January 5th, nineteen. 2015 and Weird. and then i got to scroll through the year the day the year and the month to try and make a date and then when i make a date it's like well when do you want it to end do you want it to end on january 5th 2015 it doesn't automatically update the end date to assume that you want it to happen forward in time it assumes you want it to end backwards in time so my calendar is broken. Your phone is, yeah, your phone's jacked up because there's no way that it should be showing 2015 as the default date. It should always be today. Right. How close are you to the Hudson River? <laughs> <laughs> Just toss that thing right in there. That's right. Oh I think you should uh, hit the genius bar and say, fix my calendar. Yeah, because that's attached to the, you know, the iPhone calendar. I tried yeah. turning it off so I could do the iCal thing on its own. And then when you open it up, it just says, we are not responsible for anything because we're not connected to your other broken calendar. So you can't do anything. <laughs> so if it's not connected to the broken calendar and you try and use iCal on its own, it won't let you do anything except look at the date. Hmm. So it's like, it's you know, when you install, it's like, hey, do you want us to connect to your other calendar? I'm like, oh, sure, why not? 
And then it's like, okay, we're broken too. And then I try to unconnect it and it's like, sorry, we can't do anything at all for you except tell you what day it is maybe. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think you should go to the Genius Bar. I think so. Get him, get him to help you. Well, sorry, it's still a problem for you. Well, thanks for okay. helping. And I got a lot of good – I got also – because I'm like a little like ADHD or whatever the hell I'm diagnosed as, I got a lot of sympathy from people. So thank you all. And you know, a lot of people saying they sympathize with my uh, – hysterical madness. Now, I think a lot of people have trouble keeping track or, or yeah. are like afraid of looking at how much they have to do. That's, that seems like a really common thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, okay. Um, so Twitter, back to Twitter. Uh, so a couple of people were asking about, this is kind of maybe inside baseball type stuff, but uh, Kevin Blank was asking about our recording and gear and workflow for recording and how it's different between the three of us. We've kind of talked about that stuff before. But do you guys want to talk about that at all? Like kind of just real quickly, you know, ping pong with three, between us and see like what's your process for recording? And I actually put out a, uh, a whole like this is the equipment that I use video, but things have changed since then. I have the DGI Osmo, which has a little built in uh, gimbal, 3-axis gimbal in there. And I use Sony wireless mics with that. And now I, I have a new new setup where I have an assistant here, and he films, and so he it's all handheld shots now. Um, I used to use everything on a tri- I used to do everything on a tripod, but that's changed. I, I kind of I'm having fun with this new this new handheld thing. Um, and then when it comes time to make the videos, I throw I take everything that I shot, I throw it all in the timeline. And I just go through and I quickly remove as uh, as much footage as I think. And then I go through a second time and I remove more. And then it usually takes three times to go through the entire timeline to get my video down to the 10-minute range or so. And you don't do any kind of voiceover or anything like that. It's all, it's all on-camera audio, right? Yeah, not anymore. I use a couple of GoPros. I have three GoPros that I keep basically not necessarily for three camera shoots, but just to make sure that I don't lose a moment. So if I'm like kind of jamming through something and I want to make sure that I have at least one GoPro that's ready to go. And when the battery dies or very rarely will the chip fill up, if the chip fills up, I just grab, you know, the second or third camera in position. Um, sometimes I'll lately, I've been playing around a little bit with time lapse on the, uh, the hero silver, which is the one with the screen on the back, I think. And I like that a lot. I've been uh, playing around with time-lapse because it'll actually string the, the time-lapse together. Some of the older GoPros will literally just take 5,000 pictures. And it's up to you. Yeah, they, it's up to you to string them together. So the newer GoPros have the ability to just basically make a, a quick-time movie of the thing, which is so much more convenient because I have all these folders on my computer. And then when – when fo- so this is what happened. This is a completely annoying thing. It's another side thing. Photos became iPhotos. It all became the same thing. So wherever I had 500 pictures in a row of the sun coming up on my property, they all went into my iPhone. So one day I opened my iPhone. I'm just scrolling through. And it's like the moon, it's the sun, it's the clouds, it's a bird landing, and I literally have 7,500 pictures in a row of like these five time lapses that I did with my old GoPro, which somehow iPhoto found them somewhere. And they, I didn't even put them in any, mm. I put them in as folders separately on my desktop and they ended up on my phone. So that's why like Mac, it just keeps evolving to the point where no one knows anything about it except for the guys who program it. So I use GoPros and I use, still use a Canon Vixia. Recently I did my hammer rack video, which is the last video I put on my channel and everybody complimented like I'm using a high def camera. 
it's an old Canon Vixia that happened to keep up state that I just, I didn't have any of my, my, I didn't have my Nikon D7100, which is, I bought from, from David and I've been using that ever since I got that from you. It's been probably at least a year and a half or two years. So I use my D7100 GoPros and then the Canon Vixia. The Canon Vixia shoots at 60 frames per second. So everyone thought I was using a high def rig. <laughs> I was using a $200 Canon camera that's five years old. And uh, so people it was a, were, were surprisingly, it was refreshing to see that it was like, oh, high def. Like, I thought everyone was going to poo-poo the quality of that because it's no longer soft in 24 frames per second, which is what I've gotten used to looking at. So I'm mixing it all up, and I and I edit in iMovie. I just do straight cuts. I, I do have uh, Final Cut 10, but it's a little complicated for me sometimes to go into Final Cut 10. I only recently just figured out how the folders, how to manage the the folders and where what goes. And you got projects, you got events, you got pro- used to just be the timeline and your footage. And then, and then they changed the name to events and projects. I still don't know what's an event and I still don't know what's a project. I still can't figure it out. So, uh, so I don't know. I just like, I, I kind of just fumble through iMovie and then I figured it out to the point where now I'm comfortable and I know where I could put a, a folder. And then with uh, final cut 10, you know, I, I just recently figured it out, but I don't really like using Final Cut because there's too many things to choose from. And you know, I'm not really doing split screens or motion graphics all that much. So I like to keep it simple. And then as far as audio goes, I just use on-camera audio. Even when I'm doing like a selfie or a talk thing, I'm just using most of the time it's the GoPro Session, which has seems to have pretty decent audio. Uh, believe it or not, it's a little camera the size of a cube, the size of an ice cube. And cool. um, that's uh, that's about it. As far as my gear goes, I'm thinking about going to B&H here in New York, which is a huge photo store. I'm going to get a new tripod. I'm going to buy the Osmo. I was asking you guys about it last night. And I mm. might I might buy a new digital SLR. Yeah, I, I was – you're talking about the session, the audio on the session. I've been really surprised at how good the audio is on that camera. For something that is waterproof without a case, I don't understand how the it audio works as well as it does. <laughs> but Yeah. yeah. Uh, so for me, I shoot on – a Panasonic mm-hmm. GH4, which is a mirrorless camera. Um, so it's a micro four thirds size lens. So I had to get different lenses when I moved over from Canon. And then I ended up getting an adapter so that I can use my Canon lenses, but there's some drawbacks to doing that. It works fine, but there are some drawbacks if you're if you're wanting to get a full frame, like out of a, a Canon prime lens, you don't really get that. So anyway, I shoot on... That one of the things that I, I kind of forget to tell people that I, I actually said it in one of my behind the scenes videos recently. I have two tripods in my shop. I have one that's big and heavy and beefy and goes up to like 78 inches, which is above my head level. And then I have another one which fully extended, it's lightweight and fully extended, it goes up to maybe like 55 inches. So it's quite a bit shorter. And so I keep that smaller one compressed, the legs compressed most of the time to like two or three feet. That way, if I need to get a low shot or I need to do, I need to fit it in a place that's hard to fit, I can easily pull the camera off, stick it on the other tripod because they have matching things, connectors. That's a good idea because I'm always telescoping my long legs. It's a pain. Right. And that's a pain in a small space and it takes forever. So if you have those two kind of set up and you still have to adjust them on occasion, but you know, having, being able to switch from one to the other, it saves me a ton of time. Yep. And, you know, usually the one I'm not using, the legs are folded inward and it's standing in a corner, so it's not taking up a huge footprint. But anyway, so I have uh, two tripods and then I also have like a a gorilla pod that I can use to get, if I need to get it, you know, 
behind a tool or in some weird position. I don't use that so much in the shop, but it's there. Uh, shoot all that, and then I use Final Cut to edit. And the way I do, you were asking about the, the projects and events and everything. So I'll create an event, which is just a folder, essentially. I'll create an event for whatever this video is called. Um, and then I drop, as I'm shooting, I'll bring the card in, drop all the footage into that folder. And then a project is an, is an edit. So I create a, a project that is for the main video. And then once I f I'll edit in there, I drop it all in the timeline, just like David does, and I cut out the dead space. Anything that is you know, me walking to the camera or from the camera and any of that stuff. Um, and I actually have somebody that edits for me now, so I don't really do a whole lot of that type of stuff anymore. But so I'll edit that down and then, um, I'll take that when it's all finished. I do my voiceover directly through my mic into final cut. Like there's a voiceover pop-up that will let you do voiceovers there. So I do the voiceover there and then I'll take that project file in Final Cut and I'll duplicate it. So I'll have two of them that are the same edit, but I can edit, I can modify them separately. And so I'll take that one, uh, the duplicate, and rename it as a trailer. And then I go into that and cut it down to a short trailer to put on Facebook. So, you know, I'm taking the full edit and then I back it down to 15, 20 seconds, whatever I want it to be. Um, and that, that seems to be a pretty good workflow for me. I've got it down to where that's just the way I do it, and I know where everything is. And Final Cut does have a whole lot of stuff in it that I don't use. But, uh, you know, I, I know the pieces that I use enough to use them well, and the rest of the stuff I just kind of ignore. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I've and I, you know, I worked really hard on trying to get all my lights the same temperature, so I don't have to do too much color correction. I do a little bit on occasion. If I have to go outside and shoot, that changes everything. But... You know, by getting all that the same color temperature, then that's just like one less thing that you have to do when the video's finished. I'm just trying to worry about getting it all synced up. So that's smart. Um, yeah. While we're on the subject of video, I mean, this is sort of off topic, but did you guys hear? There's a beard here in my mouth. Did you guys hear today? That, <laughs> did you guys hear today that Instagram now has stories? Just like Snapchat? No. No. Really? No, so that's coming in the, in the next update. They just announced it today, and it looks exactly like Snapchat, where uh, the videos go away after 24 hours, and Instagram says, like, you can do these little stories, and they call it calls them stories, just like Snapchat, that doesn't clog up your normal feed, so you don't have to worry about posting too much. So then you put up these little videos, and you can draw on the screen and add text and little little <laughs> wow. characters. It's just like Snapchat. But um, um, I, I, I like Instagram. I like using Instagram, so I'm very curious to see how this is going to play out. Hmm. Way to innovate, Instagram. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> Good job. Which is owned by Facebook. Which yeah, Facebook now right. does live video, just like Periscope. So yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, let's see what else we got. Uh, morning routine. Retro oh. Mash was asking if any of us had a morning routine that we do. Do you guys have anything? <laughs> I wake up and go stuff. directly to the shop. <laughs> 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 I wake up and uh, I take a shower, and while I'm drying off from the shower, I, I tweak the edit from the night before. And Taylor's usually asleep, so I wake up, and while I'm drip-drying, I, I sit at my computer with a towel, and I I tweak the edit, and then I get dressed, and then I go to the shop. So I'm usually, like, awake and out of the house within, like, 20 minutes. 
I'd just like to point out that that could be why your phone doesn't work because it's probably on the desk while you're drip drying. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. It's usually, <laughs> it's already been knocked on the floor by one of the five cats and the dogs. Gotcha. Nothing special for me. I wake up um, and I'll have a bowl of oatmeal and I go through, I read all my YouTube comments, I check Instagram and Facebook and I watch some Snapchat. I, I watch usually a couple videos from my YouTube subscription feed and then then I go usually down into the shop or whatever I'm doing that day. I, I, it's very, very rare that I'm doing any woodworking within the first hour of being awake. Usually there's a lot of things yeah. I'm doing beforehand and making sure I'm fully alert when I go down in the basement. There's usually one day a week where I'm like doing mail. So I'll wake up and uh, the first thing I'll do is uh, like I'll have a list of people that I have to mail back and, uh, you know, mail things to for whatever reason. And um, so and then also go check the post office box. So I do that one day a week where I wake up and, and then I usually get to the shop at about 12 vaguely. But yeah, my, I'm like, as soon as I wake up, I'm like half asleep dreaming, thinking of all the things that I need to get done as soon as I get to the shop. So by the time I wake up, I'm already like mentally at the shop. And so I just want to get over there and get started regardless of whatever it is I have to do. Yeah. I mean, so school starts for my kids in uh, tomorrow. Wow. That's ridiculous. So once that is back, our, my morning is entirely different than it is during the summer. So it's, you know... Waking up, getting everybody dressed and fed and ready to leave and all that stuff. Um, and then past that, it's um, I'm in marathon training right now, so four days a week I'll get up and run, which is just awful this time of year. So awful. And then um, usually I come back after that and get some coffee, shower, and then I'll sit down at my desk and read a little bit before I do anything else. That's kind of my first thing, just you know, 10 minutes or something. And then... I just kind of get into whatever I have to do that day, which is different every single day. But I'm kind of like you, David. Like I, I try not to do – I definitely don't do any on-camera or voiceover stuff in the first two hours. I've done that. Morning, ever. You can tell. Oh, you, totally. Yeah. yeah. You can see it and you can hear it, at least for me because I, I sound like super – you know. <laughs> and so, yeah, I just have learned to avoid that stuff until – usually after lunch is when I try to do any talking stuff. But um, – yeah, I try not to use any tools, you know, too early just to make sure that I'm aware and awake and, like, sharp, you know. But I don't really have any other, like, that's just kind of the pattern that I've fallen into to do all that stuff. It's not that, you know, I need to do that or, like, it's super efficient or anything. It's just running and, and coffee. And usually I only have, like, I usually have a coffee, like, in the morning, like, and then I won't have another one for another few hours. And I always leave it half done somewhere. Like, Taylor's always mad at me that I always buy a large coffee, but... I hardly ever finish it. I always leave it somewhere in the middle of the day. And then I usually don't eat lunch until about 1 or one thirty. So as soon as I wake up until about 1 o'clock, I, I don't eat anything. Just because people are sometimes curious about that. Like, when do you get your energy? It's always, I always eat late. Because it's like the last thing on my mind is to get up and get something to eat. It's usually just find a coffee somewhere. There's a couple places I go to on my path to, to work. So, so you drink like maybe two cups of coffee a day? Or maybe one cup in total? Uh, no, now about two or three, but I used to drink a lot more, but now it's like two or three and I never finish them. Like I said, I always leave them somewhere and then I'm like, I, I'm like, what? And then sometimes I'll pick up a coffee that's like a week old and I'll take a sip of it. And I'm like, oh wait, this isn't it. Because <laughs> mm. I find it, because <laughs> I, I typically buy from this one coffee shop. So the cups are all the same and there's always like two or three laying around the shop 
<laughs> and I can't always remember. And I'm like, oh, it must be cold anyway because I haven't seen it in a couple hours. And so I pick it and then it's like ice cold. And if it's ice cold, I know <laughs> it's, it's not one from that day. Nasty. Yeah. David, how much coffee do you drink? Three to four cups every day, which is probably a lot. Um, but I love I love my coffee. We get it like a we're, we're a coffee snobs. We have a coffee subscription, and we grind our beans and and all that. And yeah, I love my coffee. Yeah, you? I'm the same way. I mean, I, I do three or four probably in total. Yeah. All right. Um, here's an interesting one from the Red Smith. Oh. If you could go anywhere, up, Gerald, for summer, <laughs> if you go anything anywhere for summer vacation, no budget limitation or anything, where would you go and why? Me, Anybody? I would go to I would go to, to Egypt. Really? Mm-hmm. To go look at the get some inspiration from the Egyptians. Go see what and how they did things, and go to the Gaza, you know, the Gaza pyramids, and probably wouldn't take a balloon mm-hmm. ride, but I'd go and look around there. I'd go to the motherland, Italy. Yeah, mm. I, see, I've been there, so that's why I would go to Egypt. I haven't been to Egypt yet. I've been to Rome and Florence, and it's pretty incredible. You, you leave there thinking, like, "Wow, I have so many things to get done." You know, as far as like crafting and learning how to do things. I would like to go to. There's a bunch of places I want to go, but I think it would be super fun to go to Hawaii and go like a backpack go out into the you know the jungles and the mountains part of it like the where there's not stuff and just like live out in the camp in the jungles or not jungles but you know what i mean i would go right to where the flow is i would want to see the lava flow and watch it like swallow up a car in a tree (laughs) i time lapse that (laughs) it's been a while i think i mean all the hawaiian fans are going to correct me but i mean i think there is a couple islands that are still growing but you know any any habitat i think has long been swallowed up yeah probably cool um there's a bunch of places i'd like to go though like man that list could go on and on all right let's see oh here's an interesting one this is from cameron and i don't know i don't we i'm sure we've talked about this but anyway he asks um other than legos what are which let me point out, I've been corrected so many times that Lego is not plural, or Lego is plural. There is no S to pluralize it. And I'm still going to say Legos, so I don't care. I'm just pointing that out. Um, other than Legos, what are good ways to get kids into making? You guys have any thoughts on like on that? Like, what what's a good, um, maybe not a project, but what's a good skill set or a good kind of place to put a kid, you know, to get them interested in I think I still like the idea of just a box of ice cream sticks and some glue. I mean, not necessarily hot yeah. glue, but teach you know teaching kids early the idea of how Elmer's glue still works very good, and the idea of gluing popsicle sticks together. It's sort of like it's total freedom for a kid. You know, for an adult, they look at it and they go, "Oh my god, if I don't make something perfect, I can't do anything." So they just look at a box and they don't do anything. But for kids to see young kids just go crazy with a box of, you know, like it could be. A, you know, pipe cleaners, all, all those like crafting things. It's, you know, you can see a kid's imagination and, and it's fun. Sometimes I give popsicle sticks to my students and I say just, you know, 20 year olds. So you go crazy and people have fun with it. I'm unqualified to answer this. So I, I, I mean, I don't really know. I, I think it's, 
at least for me, when I was a kid, it's all about not forcing what you want the kids to do and allow them to find their own creativity, whether it's drawing or constructing things with popsicle sticks, you know? Yeah. Any, any oh, yeah. like series of building blocks, it could be a, you know, it could be a box of scraps. That's my dad used to always just put me in front of a box of scraps and say, go to town. Here's a hot glue. Stop bothering me. And I just would hot glue stuff together. I just, and I remember he was always like, at the time he was always cutting a lot of circles. So I remember these like corner pieces with like a swoop cut out of them. So I had all these like sharp pieces. I just happened to remember that. Maybe it was just one event that stuck in my mind, but um, I just was always hot gluing pieces of scrap together, and I must have been five or six years old when he was allowing me to do that. So if you live yeah. in a house with wood scraps, you know, give a kid a box of scraps and say, go crazy. David, with what you said, I would agree with that, but I also think that you know, when you look at learning from a kid's perspective, they have no idea of what they don't know. And so, you know, leaving it a kid to their own devices fully to figure out what they want to be or what they like or what they can do or something. I mean, they just don't know what to look for. They don't know how to experiment. So I think there's a big part of that, of letting them experiment, is just exposing them to different things. And that's why I think Lego is such a big thing, because that's a, a certainly a good way to expose kids to an endless possibility of what they can build. There's a bunch of other things like that, though, that I think are really good. Um, I'm trying to find... Oh, here it is. Uh, there's this um, series of things called Maker Studio for kids. And they're these kind of like erector set style, like these rods and these uh, clasps and some gears and wheels. And you can put them all together to make moving things and they have uh sets that are for gears they have sets that are for motion and they use like rubber bands so you could tension wheels up you know and like let the rubber band go and mm -hmm. make the thing so there's one for propellers those are really cool but they also those are fairly like you've got to have a fair amount of dexterity to be able to actually use those i'll put a couple links to these in the show notes in case anybody's interested um but even like simpler than that like i remember uh, I don't even know if they have Tinker Toys anymore, but Tinker Toys when I was a kid were awesome because you had, it was a bunch of building block type pieces, but the variation in the types of pieces that you could build something out of was pretty wide. You had these like donut pieces with holes all around the outside. You had these long rods, you had fan pieces where you could make like a windmill, you know, there were a bunch of different options and you could make stuff with Tinker Toys that you just couldn't like space wise, you couldn't create with Lego. Mm -hmm. It would just cost $1,000 to have that many Lego. Um, so I think, you know, if you can still find Tinker Toys, that's a pretty good one. And there's not a lot of dexterity involved there for a young kid. It's and just connects, putting a You guys remember Connects? Hole. Mm -hmm. Connects is like a combination of a lot of different ones, like Erectuset, like Tinker Toys, and also Lego. Connects. Yeah. There's another... Um, Oh, it might be this uh, the the Maker Studio. Now that I'm thinking about it, one of the the other cool things about that system is that it comes with this one little tool, which is just a punch. It's like a little handle with a sharp, not sharp, but kind of pointed punch on it. And the whole idea is that you use these components in conjunction with your recycling. So you give a kid a bunch of cardboard boxes, and they use this little punch to punch holes in the cardboard box, and then they run these axles through them and turn this box into a car. So that's, that's what we do. That's we've used those things with our kids, and we'll 
you know, we'll save our recycling and we have it in a bin for them to build with. And they'll just grab a shoebox and slap some wheels on it, and they've got a giant car that they can put any of their other toys in, you know, stuff like that. that so that reminds me of a of a product from years and years ago that I saw in the toy business. I don't know if it's still available or if it even made it to market because I've seen so many toys behind the scenes. This guy made a bunch of like plastic screws. Do you know how the thing that like you ever see the thing that like screws into a milk container and now you have a spout on the milk container? Do you ever see that? No. You ever see you could just screw it right into a milk container and then you unscrew the outside of it and now you have a cap that's like a spout. This guy took that concept and made these big plastic gnarly like kind of very, very V-shaped, pyramid-shaped cones and you could screw cardboard boxes together with just like a twist of the hand. Oh, yeah. I do know what you're talking about. I yeah. can't remember what it's called, but I have yeah, seen Yeah, so it. I, I don't remember. It's been so long. But you could – a kid could screw boxes together and make tunnels and stuff. So that was – that's another thing. It's like a, it's like a very yeah. primitive building cardboard building process. Yeah, I, and I think also just giving. I mean, this is kind of cliche. People say that kids like the boxes of toys more than the toys inside the box, but it's totally true. Yeah, and I think honestly, like with my son Hawk, he's he's the maker kid in our family. He's the one that you can give him anything, he will turn it into something else. And um, so we. We just decided at one point he will get an endless supply of scotch tape <laughs> as much as he wants. And then he has access to the, the recycling bin. And so he'll go in there and just grab some stuff and tape it together. And in his mind, it's something like it, it doesn't matter whether we understand what that thing's supposed to be or, you know, whatever. The fact is, he took some raw materi- materials and he turned it into something that he thought it should be. And so I think just even simply that, you know, um, just give him access to some cheap materials that they can just make some stuff with. So markers and tape and, you know, we like, we try to avoid glue because <laughs> that gets messy, but, um, and we avoid, uh, he, somehow he got a hold of some duct tape at one point. I'm not sure why, because we keep that in the shop. Um, and so then we ended up with duct tape on the walls and duct tape's not real great with paint. So yeah, avoid that scotch tape. Masking tape is good and safe. Cool. Um, Let's see if we have anything else. Oh, this was interesting, and it kind of goes back to what you were talking about, the design for your built-ins, Jimmy. Uh, This was from Ken. How much tinkering do each of you do before you make a project plan? Some little or totally uh, improvise. I start with a sketch. And then once I have a vision from the sketching process, I go right to work. So I don't very, I very rarely refine a sketch, only if I have somebody involved, like a client that needs to see more of what I'm going to do. But most of the time, if I'm talking to somebody that just trusts me, they'll say, totally got it, go for it. But if it's a bigger budget and there's more people involved and I have to get more people on board, I'll have to do more of a refined sketch. And then I'm not very good with SketchUp. I do have a friend that's very good with SketchUp, my buddy Ryan, who's doing all my, my project uh, PDFs. One day I'll publish them. So I'll, sometimes I've asked Ryan to help me envision something because I could do a quick pencil sketch and we speak the same language and he can go into a much more detailed image. And uh, so that, that's only happened a couple times. But sometimes my pencil drawings are more than enough to get through. Yeah, for me, it's not. I usually make something, and that's the one time I make it. And so there's not a lot of refinement. And before I jump into those projects, I, especially on the bigger projects, I usually have every detail worked out 
usually in SketchUp. Because uh, that just, SketchUp eliminates any surprises for me, or most surprises, I should say. Uh, on the last couple projects, we've kind of winged some things like hey we're just going to go and start cutting wood and that's kind of fun um but i i've noticed that we run into a lot more obstacles when we're not completely planned out and it means more trips to the store means the, the project takes two days instead of one day and i really try to work everything out beforehand it's just makes everything a lot easier everything goes smooth and it's more fun yeah, I try to generally work out as much as I can beforehand. This project that I've been working on this week for next week, um, I started with a sketch that was only about maybe the first 25% of the project. And I was like, well, I'll figure out the rest when I get there. And so I, I got to that point and then realized I didn't have any clue how to do the rest of it. Like I just hadn't thought through that. And I was in the middle of filming and I was like, oh, I should just tell the people that this is as far as I planned. The rest is just I'm going to wing it. You know, so and it actually turned out great. I'm really happy with how it, how it looks. But um, generally, though, I'm kind of the same way. The only time I will model something in SketchUp is if I'm planning on selling plans for it. So I just need to go ahead and do that work, you know, ahead of time. Um, or more often, it's because I there's no super easy way for me to calculate how much material I need unless I can make the panels, you know, this panel is this size and it's made up of one by sixes. So I know I need whatever. So that's the time that I'll usually do SketchUp is just when I need to figure out how much material to buy. But, um, let's see. you know what I do? Yeah. You just reminded me, um, just a, a quick, uh, I'm not good with SketchUp and I, as much as I try, I'm just very frustrated with the program just cause I don't know. I just need a teacher. And I had some offers, so thank you for everybody. I'm just lazy following up. But that being said, I'm really good with Illustrator. So a lot of times for me to do a quick layout for scaling and size, just like you said, Bob, so you want to know how big I'm going to make something or how big it's going to fit and how much material I'll need. I use millimeters to the inch so I could work inside of a desktop area. And I lay out the whole project millimeters to the inch. So if it's, you know, 5, 10 millimeters, that means 5 or 10 inches. Or if it's 100 and it's 120 millimeters that's 10 feet in my mind so i lay it all out whatever it is in millimeters as per inch and it gives me a lot of the answers that i need so that's an illustrator just you know profile um either it's a planned sketch or or it's a elevation sketch um this was from jonathan what do you guys do for fun besides making things i make things that i don't get paid for that's the only thing i do for fun (laughs) Recently, I played with my drone. That was fun for one day. <laughs> one day? You haven't gotten back to it yet? Not yet. Okay, go ahead, David. What were you going to say? Because I, I talk about making music, but I don't make as much music as I talk about. Um, <laughs> but uh, I, think, I think Bob has said it before. Like I want to get into it more. Um, but right now, I'm so invested into making stuff that it has consumed my entire life one thing i i really enjoy taylor and i really enjoy on the weekends we go garage selling and looking for things to either incorporate into the house or ideas so a lot of times i'm at the flea market i'm not necessarily buying stuff Uh, i buy a lot of hammers so i apologize for that (laughs) but (laughs) would you say you're manteking yeah, yeah, I'm mantiquing. So I'm looking for ideas to, you know, you know, necessarily not necessarily restore, but 
from time to time, I'll find an axe head at the garage sale or flea market. But also just looking at cool categories of things and be like, oh, there's a cool idea for a video. Oh, that's something that goes on the list. And it's not things I even buy. You know, I just go shopping with my eyes and my brain. So that's that's very enjoyable for me because it's like totally blue sky, just the relaxing, driving around. Oh, let's just walk up this guy's driveway. Who knows what he's got? You know, because it's all in upstate New York and some of the homes are colonials, you know, from the colonial era. So you just don't know what's going to be at the garage sale or whatever it is. So it's nice. Mm. It's like, it's, you know, it's like uh, playing antique roulette. It's really fun. <laughs> I like that. That would be fun. Yeah, for me, I mean, I'm kind of the same way, David. Like, I would love to do music more. It's on my list, but it's like, I, I don't know when. Well, I don't know when I would do that. Um, but the, you know, this job has turned into something that even when I'm not making stuff, there's still so much to do to put the stuff that I made out there that, you know, my, when the kids go to bed, I go back to work for a couple hours and it's not like, I'm like, Oh, gotta go back to work for a couple hours. It's like, sweet. I gotta go finish the thing. So I put the <laughs> thing out with the thing and send the email and whatever. Um, so, you know, any of those type of times are just like, I enjoy what I'm doing. So it's just continuing that, you know, enjoyment. Um, and yeah, I run, but I don't, like running it's just something i do so that i don't die and um you know i need to do that but then i i guess for fun the rest of the time i just spend time with my kids we do a lot of swimming and you know goofing off and playing and stuff like that but i don't really have any other hobbies these days so yeah i'm trying to i've been trying to figure out interesting answer for that sorry (laughs) (laughs) i've been trying to figure out what's going to be you know everyone's asking me what my next collection video is going to be and it's either going to be hammers, it might be hammers. I'm, it's kind of winding down to hammers. It's everyone's pointing at hammers because of my last hammer video. When you see that video of me like collecting hammers and that one, that's like, that's like one, that's like twenty percent of the amount of hammers I have. Yeah, really. So uh, maybe like twenty five percent. I don't know. I got I I got hammers every time I open a drawer. There's like seven hammers in it. So I'm trying to figure out how to formulate the video if it's just me opening drawers and talking about what's in those drawers because I know in that drawer there's that hammer and that hammer I'm thinking about it but I also have a collection of safes and you know talking about things that you enjoy outside I've always enjoyed locks and picking locks and figuring out locks and so one of one of the things I've always been curious about is safes so I have two antique safes that are accessible one right here in my apartment and then one upstate which has been in a previous video very briefly but in my mother's garage I have five safes antique safes and uh, wow. I don't know what condition they're in. I haven't seen them in a long time. But they're the old tile. They're big and they're like safes that you would see like, you know, in the old westerns. Turn of the century mm-hmm. look. So I really, uh, I enjoy like figuring them out and, you know, not much of a need for them anymore. So they're really cumbersome and usually get them for free. I have a lot of fans sending me Craigslist links in my vicinity of old safes. Hmm. But they're, you know, they're, they're dangerous Turn to move. A project. Do some- yeah. Well, I have a safe door. It's a project I've been talking about for a while. I have a safe door that I bought at an antique shop. It's just a door, and the rest of the safe is gone. So I was going to build the rest of the safe with welding. But I'm going to make. I have an interesting idea. It would be like wired glass, and so whatever goes in there, you'd be able to see it. Cool. Yeah. So it's a, it's an idea. It's like an art piece. Sweet. Oh, you know, a long time ago. I know the answer to this, but I'm going to ask it anyway. A long time ago, like when we first started the podcast, we talked about you setting up some sort of a like an art installation or an art show to show off 
a lot of the things that you've made over the years. Mm-hmm. Have you ever thought any more about doing that? Uh, you know, somebody from like a college asked me about it. Maybe that's what I vaguely remember them asking me if I'd be interested in doing a video, you know, associated with the videos, a, a, an art gallery show of all the projects I have. Yeah, I would love to do that if anybody wanted to, you know, provide the space. I certainly don't have the space for it, but if uh, yeah. working in conjunction with a gallery or a school, like a design school, wanted me to, I have tons of the things I, I made. You know, I have anything that I made that wasn't a client job, I still have. So it's all just laying around the shop. <laughs> Some of it's hmm. in the container, but I have it. So I'd be able to put together a good show of, of objects if anybody wanted to do that. That would be fun. If there's anybody out there that has connections to make that happen, speak up because I think that would be super cool. And you would have a huge turnout of people that wanted to, you know, just come see all these things that they'd seen online all in one place. I think it'd be awesome. It'd be something I think I'd make the trip for. Oh, thank you. I have a vision of if I ever had my building that I'm fantasizing about having like one part of it be all the things I made and the knives mm-hmm. and all the different things I have. Yeah, no, I get kind of has shop at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then I'd walk them through, and then they'd, then they'd have to buy little plastic replicas of everything on the wall. <laughs> have you guys seen Kyle Toth's shop, where the, it's like a big barn, and the the first the, the main floor is is his work area, and then up above in the attic, he has a little gallery of all his stuff. It's all painted nice and white, and all his beautiful mm-hmm. pieces. Yeah, yeah that that's the dream thing. That's the dream. Cool. Well, that's most of the questions. Um, you guys watching anything cool these days? My pick of the week is a book, and it is called Health Hazards Manual for Artists. Um, we had a uh, a Patreon call with, with one of our patrons, and he turned me on to a book about health hazards uh, for for artists, but it was a different book, and the cap. I looked it up, and the copyright was 1974. So I went and found something newer, and this one's only a couple years old. And I just kind of, as I'm working with like different chemicals and stuff, and and metals and and whatever, I just kind of want to know what what I'm dealing with because there's so much misinformation out there. On page two, it says, "Don't wash paint off your hands with alcohol." <laughs> <laughs> Don't stick your hands in concrete. <laughs> yeah, that's on page three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, if you care about your health, don't watch Jimmy dress the videos. <laughs> page four says, don't spend a lot of money on a ring pull. <laughs> <laughs> that's funny. Uh, I've been, I've been, uh, I'm getting friendly with a company that has a YouTube channel, so I'm going to promote them through their YouTube channel. They're called Wazer, W A Z E R, and their YouTube channel is going to be in the link. Uh, and they are a company that's making a home-use water jet. And hopefully I get a chance to use the machine in the fall. They're going to announce their, their uh, Kickstarter campaign coming in September. And they are trying to make a home-affordable water jet, probably with a cutting table that's like approximately, at least in the videos, it looks like it's a cutting table of about like 18 by 18, maybe a little smaller. And uh, it cuts through metal, glass, plastic, anything. And uh, so check out their YouTube channel. They cut a fake Rolex completely in half in just a few minutes, like two minutes. And <laughs> like literally just it's like a it's like a laser like you would see in the movies. It just like disintegrates a tiny little line and then everything is clean cut on both sides of the line. It's amazing. And it cuts glass awesome. too? It cuts anything. <laughs> It'll cut anything. I think it's just a matter of how much time and how much aggregate is suspended in the water. 
Um, that's typically how, how a, a water jet works. I've been to a shop that has a water jet. It's a giant, you know, half a million dollar machine, probably a million dollar machine that cuts eight inch thick steel. So that's about that thick. Eight inch thick steel and the table itself. Imagine how thick a piece of eight inch thick steel that's literally eight inches by eight inches by eight inches is probably 25 pounds. Imagine a plate that's say six feet by eight feet and then the plasma cutting through that. Even the scrap has to get picked up with a crane to be thrown away. So, I mean, water jet is just such a fantastic, amazing thing that, that is possible. And these guys are trying to make an affordable version of it. So I'm looking forward to getting my own version one of these one of these days. So check it out. So it's a company in their infancy. Awesome. Um, kind of related to that, this is not my pick, but I wanted to kind of point out we've talked about uh, Shaper before. Oh yeah, the handheld router, like that's like a, it's just insane. Well, they have recently they're about to launch, and so they've recently started putting up videos on their YouTube channel showing them making projects with this thing. You should definitely go check out the projects on there. They don't really give you the same experience as using it, which we've all done, and it's mind-boggling how cool it is. But <laughs> you should definitely start by watching that channel. Um, it's really, really cool. But my uh, recommendation, or the thing I've been watching, <clears throat> is a guy that uh, David and I first saw in San Francisco. We stayed to watch a show, and one of the guys playing was Andrew Huang. And he's a YouTube musician um, who does music, all sorts of music. Um, and a lot of it is not stylistically not what I would typically listen to, but what amazes me about him is how he makes his music. So a lot of it is electronic, but then a lot of it is him making music out of everyday objects. So he'll have people give him a challenge to say like, make a song just out of water. And so he'll make an entire song. Every sound except for his voice is made out of water. And then he'll do one out of light bulbs and then out of breakfast, making breakfast into a song. And it's just crazy how creative he is with all these different things. It's not like he's done a couple of them. Like he's been making music on YouTube for a long time and has done a lot of these different variations. Just really creative stuff. So go check out Andrew. And he and I are probably going to be working on a collaboration soon. So that's cool. Yeah. Um, I guess that's it for this week, unless you guys got anything else. No, that's it. that's it. Make something. That's it. Make something. Yeah. I love How you. How are you doing? <laughs> I love you. You don't say Aww. that, do you? <laughs> no, that's yours. That's all yours, buddy. No, but I'm saying, like, when you tell your wife you love you, you don't go, I love you. <laughs> no, I, I whisper it. I stick up behind her and I whisper it. Love you. Scare the crap out of her. <laughs> cool. Well, that's it for well, this week. That's it. Guys, uh, thanks for listening and see you, see you next time. Later. Thank you. I love you. <laughs>